Going into this season, expectations were very high for the Seahawks on defense after a loaded free agent group and drafting Devin Witherspoon. Unfortunately, the results haven't shown up on the field. Who's to blame for the Seahawks' defensive regression heading into the season finale? We're going to be discussing and debating on a new Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on Matchup Wednesday by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether you're listening in Roanoke, Indiana, or in nearby Tacoma, Washington. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. As we do each and every Wednesday, we're going to be diving into the matchups. And even though the Cardinals and Seahawks play regularly, there's a lot of new matchups we'll be looking at heading into this rematch with all the changes the Cardinals have had over the course of this season. And we're going to be discussing Seattle's defensive issues. Who is to blame the most for what has been a really disappointing season overall on that side of the football? This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Now, for your lead story here on Matchup Wednesday on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Going into the 2023 season, expectations were quite high for the Seahawks on defense. They had added Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Bobby Wagner in free agency. They invested the top five pick in Devin Witherspoon. They had a finalist for the rookie of the year in Reek Woolen coming back. A number of other really talented players. They were hoping to have a healthy Jamal Adams back. Expectations were really high for a group that, quite frankly, was underwhelming most of last season. And unfortunately, Rob, it just hasn't happened as we expected this year, particularly in the second half. The run defense has regressed after that mirage of the first five games. The pass rush has been good in terms of sacks, but inconsistent otherwise. And they've given up a lot of explosives in the passing game. They're ranked 24th in points allowed. They're near the bottom of the league in almost every other meaningful category, which leaves fans to wonder with one game left, who is to blame most for this not working out? Because on paper, at least, this looks like it should be a pretty solid defense, and it just hasn't played as well as expected this year. Well, I think that's a great way of explaining it, Corbin. Um, as you said, over the first five games, the Seahawks were very successful in slowing down the run. Um, of course, you attended this last uh, game against the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And on the Fox telecast, for those of us watching from home or from somewhere other than Lumen Field, Fox now or put it out there um, that uh, the Seahawks actually ranked dead last in all of the NFL and rushing yards allowed since those first five games. And so I funding the, the, the number five here, I think, is applicable because I think there's five different groups that deserve a little bit of blame for all of this. And certainly 
the one I think that deserves the most blame is the man who wears the crown. Um, heavy is the head that, that wears the crown, and that's Pete Carroll, of course. And, and I just think that when you look at all of the additions that the Seahawks have made, I think that you certainly have to throw out the, the general manager and John Schneider. I think you also have to mention the, the assistant coaches, uh, whether it be the defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, whether it be the, the regression that we've seen at the cornerback with Reek Woolen. Um, you know, you have a new defensive back coach out there, a relatively new and Carl Scott and Deshaun Shedd. I think that they deserve a little bit of, of the blame in this way. Uh, I think that the media, and I'll raise my hand up here uh, as a member of the media, I think that we created this expectation based on the fact that the Seahawks, of course, made the playoffs a year ago when expectations were as dirt low as they have ever been during the Pete Carroll era. Of course, the Seahawks traded away Russell Wilson the year after they failed to make the playoffs, then do make the playoffs. And with that glory of reaching the postseason also comes with it a more difficult schedule. And I think that, again, the expectations were raised this year, despite the fact that the Seahawks, frankly, barely snuck into the playoffs a year ago. They're in the exact same situation they are now, needing help in Week 18 just to qualify for the playoffs in the first damn place. And then finally, I think the players deserve a great deal of blame for this. There is a player like Arik Woolen, for example, who, again, it's it's more of about an F, uh, an I hate, I always struggle to use the word effort, but the reality is, is that missed open field tackles, I think is something about effort and toughness. And so I think that uh, there are multiple players, not just at the cornerback position, but multiple players on the defensive side of the ball who I I believe deserve their fair share of the blame as well. But again, the one who I think deserves the most blame is the man who is in charge and that ultimately being the head coach and the, the chief decision maker in Seattle, that being Pete Carroll. I will first say one person that I don't des- I don't believe deserves blame in this. And maybe I guess you could say there's a small piece of the pie, but John Schneider is the one guy in this group that I've seen a few 12s out there mentioning, well, the drafts back in 2018, 2019. Okay, you can look at those, but then look at the last two years. Devin Witherspoon's been banged up. He's missed a few games, but when he's been healthy, he's been a a dynamic playmaker. That has been a really nice pick. Boye Mafe is approaching double-digit sacks, and I know the second half he has not been as good overall, but he's still had a very strong sophomore season. You have been able to add a lot of talent in the draft. And I think the free agency aspect, yes, the Draymond Jones edition, that one to this point has not worked out as planned. But Bobby Wagner's got 168 tackles. He's still done a lot of good things. Devin Bush, when they've had to play him, he's, I guess, a serviceable linebacker. He's been a solid insurance guy to have around. Julian Love has been hit and miss, but he's gotten defensive player of the week a few weeks ago. So he's had his moments. And Jaron Reed, bang for buck has been the best addition the Seahawks have had, bringing him back. And I think the Leonard Williams trade, a lot of people are looking at that second-round pick like, man, I wish we had that. But Leonard Williams has not been the reason that this Seahawks defense has played so poorly. He has been one of the few bright spots. Had another sack the other day against the Steelers. And going back and watching the tape, he had a couple nice run stops. I don't feel like the interior defensive line was really the issue for most of that game, slowing down. Najee Harris and Jalen Ward. So I think John Schneider, he's safe. He has done a really nice job building this roster back up. And I think that puts even more blame here on Pete Carroll. And I kind of hinted at this a little bit yesterday. I'm going to put this graphic up again for those of you watching on YouTube. 
this is a pattern here. Since 2017, when Chris Richard was still the defensive coordinator, he was elevated from a secondary position to replace Dan Quinn. Then they fired him. Ken Norton Jr., he moves from linebacker coach to defensive coordinator. Another internal hire. He's there for four seasons. Clint Hurt going from D-line to defensive coordinator. There are a lot of troubling patterns here. Three of the past five years, they've been 22nd or worse in scoring defense. They have been 27th or worse in pass defense through those five seasons. The last two years with Clint Hurt, they've been 30th in run defense. This year, they're 22nd in turnovers. That has been the one thing they've been consistently good at, regardless of who the coordinator is. And even that hasn't happened this year. So there's a pattern here. All these internal hirings, I mentioned this yesterday, I'm fine with Pete Carroll being back next season because I think he's a really good coach. If you are able to talk him into bringing in a defensive coordinator that is proven from outside the organization, because this charade, this is a big enough time sample here. We're talking all the way back to 2017. They've had one scoring defense that's been even close to top 10, and that was 11th. All the other years, it's been 15th or worse, a bunch of them in the 20s. This clue is not and that always goes back to the man on top. When it's three different coordinators, you start to think, hey, this is an issue with who's being hired and who makes those hirings. It's Pete Carroll. So to me, I think 60% of the blame in this situation falls on him. And I'd say Clint Hurt, maybe 15%. And then I put the players on the rest of it. I agree with you. At the end of the day, the coaches can only do so much. And watching that film on Sunday – there were plenty of plays where the scheme wasn't the issue. It was the effort or the lack of execution that is on the players in that instance. But I definitely think in this case, it all goes back to the guy at the top and he's been credited for a lot of Seattle success over the years. You also got to deal with the other end of the spectrum. And I think it does create some interesting conversations for this off season. No, it certainly does. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, whether the Seahawks decide to go in a different direction of defensive coordinator or even at the head coach position, or whether Jody Allen decides to completely clean house, um, I think that one thing remains very clear, and that is the Seahawks need to have a turnover in terms of personnel on the field, or at least a turnover in attitude physicality if they are going to have any chance of being able to compete in the NFC West because as they were about to see this weekend Corbin they're going to be facing up against a a much more physical uh you know a much more energetic Arizona Cardinals team and obviously the CX have already been swept by the other two teams in the NFC West and the 49ers and the Rams so unless the Seahawks want to get used to looking up um, they're they're going to be in the in the bottom. Or they're going to be in the cellar in the NFC West unless things turn around as, as soon as possible. Speaking of that matchup, it's time for matchup Wednesday. We're going to switch gears this week. We've been changing things up with the Seahawks lose. We're going to go back to Seahawks on offense first, going up against the Cardinals defense. That'll be coming up next year on Matchup Wednesday on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This episode is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been in the hunt for sports or concert tickets at the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking, especially around the holidays. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And they've got killer deals on last-minute tickets. And with their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you'll have. I just purchased some NCAA tournament first and second round tickets 
for Christmas for my mother and I was able to show a cheaper price from somewhere else and I was able to get an awesome deal from game time. They've got deals on tickets right at the day of the event and with the game time guarantee, you are always going to get the best price. So if you're like me and you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use the code locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code locked on for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. You're listening to Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s. As always, thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for your 24 7 sports coverage with local experts from Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, Rob, it's time to get into the matchups, and potentially it could be the last matchup Wednesday that we have of the 2023 season. The Seahawks can still make the playoffs, but they have to beat the Cardinals, and they need the Chicago Bears to beat a near full strength Green Bay Packers squad at Lambeau Field. So uh, there's a lot that needs to happen for the Seahawks to get into the postseason, but it is still possible. That being said, if those things don't play out, this will be the last one we have. So we need to give our all here, which the Seahawks did not do on defense the other day, but hopefully we can make up for that a little bit here with our matchup, starting with the Seahawks on offense, going up against the Cardinals on defense and I think when you look at these matchups between these two teams when they get together you've always got to start looking on the outside for the Seahawks and DK Metcalf is now over 1100 yards for the year Tyler Lockett had a really really quiet week last week but Smith and Jigba found the end zone again and this is a Cardinals team that already has had issues with depth at cornerback and now Garrett Williams the rookie we talked about yesterday he is banged up probably not going to be playing in this game so this is a secondary, a quarterback group at least, that's got a lot of major question marks going into this game. And the Seahawks have to be looking at the number of explosive plays that this Cardinals cornerback group has given up. And they got to be thinking, we got to find ways to game plan those shot plays in this week on the road to win. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think that you look at the, the primary starting cornerbacks um, for the Cardinals at this point. Looks like it's going to be a six-footer, uh, Antonio Hamilton. He doesn't have the size nor the speed to be able to match up one-on-one consistently with DK Metcalf. Let's be real, who does? Uh, Sterling Thomas is more in that 5'9", 5'10", 190-pound range. He does have great quickness. He should be able to uh, handle some of the coverage uh, responsibility of a player like Tyler Lockett, but Tyler Lockett's savviness as well as the strength that Jackson Smith and Jigba brings, uh, I really think should allow the Seahawks to be able to create some big plays um, on the perimeter as well as down the middle of the field. Um, The Arizona Cardinals have two terrific safeties, but at the same time, because the Seahawks have had a great deal of success throwing the ball deep, and they have not had much success in running the football, then I do think that the the middle of the field should be something that the Seahawks should be able to exploit. So, again, 
the three-headed monster that is the primary Seattle wide receivers of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I also think this could be a game where you could be hearing more Bobo because I think the Seahawks might be looking to implement their four receiver sets a little bit more often as well. Yeah, and the key is always to get all those guys involved is going to be protecting the quarterback. Now, this Cardinals team, as well as they have played in recent weeks, this has not been a strength for them at all this year, rushing the passer. But there is one player, rookie B.J. Ojolari, that has started to come on here in the second half of the season. When we were talking about the first matchup, he had been a healthy scratch a couple times for the Arizona Cardinals. But now he has worked his way to the rotation. He started a few games. He's got four sacks, six quarterback hits. So in the second half, the former LSU standout has started to figure things out. And He's going to get to go against a backup tackle most likely in this game. It doesn't sound good, as we talked about yesterday. Pete Carroll again confirming today that it doesn't look good for Abraham Lucas to be able to play in this game with a really sore knee. So Stone Forsythe's going to be out there. On the other side, Charles Cross is coming off a game where he gave up nine pressures by my count in this last game. So he had trouble. Now, the Steelers have a lot better edge rushers than what the Cardinals do. But still, from a pass protection standpoint, if there's a game where the Cardinals feel like they can get some pressure on Geno Smith, that has not been a strength for them this year, but they're going against a backup right tackle and a left tackle that's coming off one of the worst games of his career. This is a game where those guys absolutely got to right the ship and they got to keep Geno Smith clean so he can take advantage of those matchups at the cornerback position, because if he doesn't have time, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah, it really doesn't. And that's why I think that this is a critical matchup for the Seahawks. Uh, as you mentioned, Abraham Lucas likely not going to be able to play in this game. The Stone Forsyth is going to be thrust back into the starting role. And, and a player like B.J. Ojolari, uh, you know, he is 6'2 260 pounds, Corbin. He's not as long um, as some of the other edge rushers out there. But what he does have is very good quickness and very good bull rush. And that is one of the things a player, a much taller player, Stone Forsyth has proven himself vulnerable to in the past. So this is kind of a contrasting style of players here in the tall, lanky uh, Stone Forsyth, who I thought played pretty darn well against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But now that the Cardinals are basically going to be able to game plan for his specific strengths and weaknesses, I really do think that that's an interesting matchup. I love that you mentioned Charles Cross, who did struggle against Pittsburgh. The, the Arizona Cardinals are not particularly deep at edge rusher. Zayvon Collins uh, has played inside and outside linebacker. Wouldn't be surprised at all if the Cardinals try to increase the amount of pressure on Geno Smith, as we talked about. Obviously, they have some limitations at the cornerback spot due to injuries. So, of course, with uh, being at home, I think that they're going to try to increase the pressure that much, mo that much more on Geno Smith. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Zayvon Collins, more of a traditional 6'4", 255-pounder, that he might be able to come off the edge a little bit to try to provide some pressure on Smith. This is going to feel like a broken record for our last key positional battle here because I can't remember the last game that the Seahawks played against a team that had healthy starting linebackers. It feels like it's been a couple months. Now, they didn't get to take advantage of that this past week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ken Walker III had a really good second quarter and then he banged his shoulder, wasn't able to do much in the second half. The Seahawks couldn't get anything going to the run game in those last two quarters. But this is a Cardinal squad that has had a bunch of injuries at the linebacker spot. We talked about Kaiser White earlier in the Week 7 matchup, and he is now out for this game. He's out for the rest of the season. He's been on injured reserve. So 
Kaiser White's not going to be out there. And they're going to be leaning on a couple of unproven young players that haven't gotten very many snaps, including rookie Owen Pepo, who has only made eight tackles this year in his limited action. He's going to be starting in the middle. So this has got to be a game for the Seahawks. you got to be able to move some guys up front and get that run game going. The Cardinals have had their issues defending the run throughout the year, and now you got backup third-string linebackers in there. You have to take advantage of that depth issue and have a more balanced offense. That by itself can open up some of those deep balls for Geno Smith to his stud receivers. It should. It remains to be seen if the Seahawks are going to be able to take advantage of this. As I you know, tried to articulate in yesterday's show, Corbin, the, the Seahawks have only had one 100-yard rusher all season long. That was Ken Walker the third, who ran for a grand total of 105 yards against these same Arizona Cardinals way back in week seven. We'll see if they're able to duplicate that. I like the fact that you mentioned the rookie from Auburn, Papo. I mean, he's a, he is a physical linebacker, though, so you are going to have to elude him because he knocks down typically whatever he hits. And so this is going to be an interesting match. Chris Barnes, the other inside linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals, similarly is not an elite athlete, but he is a good physical tackler. So, again, this is an Arizona Cardinals team that maybe doesn't have a bunch of uh, name recognition, but at the same time they have physicality on their side. And so it's going to be quite the battle for the Seahawks. They're going to have to strap them up if they want to be able to uh, be the team that runs for the most yards in this football game. Ultimately, that is what's going to determine who I think wins this football game. Physicality has been the Achilles heel for the Seahawks. As you mentioned yesterday, this Cardinals team, they've got flaws. They're not as talented on paper. But one thing that they may have an advantage with, this team will hit you. They will play a physical brand of football. Up next, we're going to switch gears. Seahawks on defense going up against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense. Don't go away. You're listening to Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action here at the end of the season. The app is so easy to use, and they have a wide range of betting options that you can easily find in the Parlay Hub, including spreads. The Seahawks being a slim favorite over the Cardinals on the road in Week 18. Player props, such as Geno Smith's total passing yards for the season finale, over-unders, and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Ragg. Any special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for tuning in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Matchup Wednesday. We already have looked at Seahawks on offense against Cardinals on defense. And where the real changes are going to be compared to the first matchup between these teams, though, is going to be on the other side of the football. When these teams met in Week 7, Josh Dobbs was playing quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. James Conner was on injured reserve. They did have Marquise Brown for that game. He is out for this game and will miss the season finale. But still, the Cardinals have their star quarterback. They've got their standout running back. And 
I think that's where we've got to start when we're talking about this matchup Wednesday episode after watching the Pittsburgh Steelers just road grade the Seattle Seahawks defense this past week with over 200 rushing yards. The Cardinals did the same thing to the Philadelphia Eagles, who have a pretty stout defensive line. They were able to run for over 200 yards, and James Conner was at the center of that, a punishing, bruising ball carrier that likes to push the pile, can break arm tackles, an underrated receiver, and I think more elusive than people give him credit for, but over 800 rushing yards this year, six touchdowns. He's a guy that when he gets in the red zone, he has a nose for getting into the end zone, and so that pressure is going to be on Bobby Wagner. You're hoping Jordan Brooks is going to be back. Pete Carroll, his update today, he was able to get through what report looks like, but they're hoping they can get Jordan Brooks back out there for this weekend. That would be crucial when going up against one of the better rushing attacks in the NFL. I believe the Cardinals are ranked sixth right now, Rob, in rushing yards for the season. This is an offense with a lot of capabilities in the run game, and that has been Seattle's kryptonite for most of this season. It really has. Uh, you know, obviously, when you bring back a dual threat like Kyler Murray at the quarterback position who can, you know, scamper and, and scramble his way to big yardage as well, it's only going to make an already formidable Arizona running game that much stronger. But as I, again, mentioned a moment ago, the Seahawks have only one time had a single rusher go for over 100 yards. Only six times in 16 games so far this season have they, as a team, been able to get to 100 yards. The Cardinals have done that twice as many times, and they've won a total of five games. So, again, they have run for over 100 yards as a team, 12 of the 15, 16 games that they've played so far this season, including against the Seahawks previously. Even in the loss, they ran for 200-plus two of the last three games, including in the victory against the Eagles, as well as in the loss against the mighty San Francisco 49ers. 200-plus rushing yards against the 49ers and their formidable linebackers. I think the Seahawks should be terrified of this matchup just because of the fact of the way that they gave up so many big yards in the, the matchup a week ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't give a damn if it's Jordan Brooks or Jack Lambert on the field for the Seahawks. They're going to have to bring some physicality. Otherwise, the Arizona Cardinals are going to make the Pittsburgh Steelers look like the JV team because the Cardinals will run the ball right down your throat. And the Seahawks, of course, had the advantage of being at home. What's going to happen when they are in Arizona? Well, Arizona has been a place that the Seahawks have won most of their games over the years, knock on wood, even though it has been called a house of horrors. There's been a lot of injuries, so maybe that ends up playing to their advantage that they have played well in Arizona. But yeah, this is a dangerous rushing team. And oh, by the way, they also have an ascending young star tight end, which that always makes you cringe a little bit when you're thinking about the Seahawks defense. Now this year, tight ends have not had as much success, knock on wood as what they have had in previous seasons. But still, Julian Love had a couple of busted coverages this past week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now you're going to have to deal with Trey McBride, who has really come on since Kyler Murray returned from his injury. He's had a couple hundred-yard games, including going for 102 yards with 10 receptions against the 49ers just three weeks ago. So this kid is a dynamic athlete with great soft hands, the ability to get open. He understands defenses, can create chunk plays, can be a chain mover. Julian Love 
you better be on your A game because this is going to be a guy that is targeted a lot that you're going to be responsible for covering as that strong safety most of this football game. And if you are not on your A game, this is a guy that will light you up. He's got almost 80 receptions now in his second season for the Cardinals. And most of that production has come in the second half of the season where he's really blossomed with the return of Kyler Murray. So without Marquise Brown, that is going to be the main guy that Kyler Murray is going to be going to in the passing game. Him and Michael Wilson, Rondale Moore. But I think this tight end, he has a chance to be one of the top five receiving tight ends in the NFL by next year if he's not already there. That is always a scary matchup for the Seahawks defense. Corbin, don't give away all your fantasy football secrets just yet. Uh, you know, I, I but I 100% agree with you as far as Trey McBride. Um, you know, he leads the Cardinals in receptions and receiving yards. He's only got a couple of touchdowns, but, um, you know, we know that the Seahawks have struggled historically um, against tight ends. And that was one of the things I think was kind of lost in all the shuffle, all the all, all the negativity about Seattle's inability to slow down the Pittsburgh Steelers running game or their dynamic receiver, George Pickens, was just how often Pat Fryermuth, um, also the Pittsburgh's tight end, was able to shake himself free and how many broken tackles that he accumulated. Same kind of thing with Trey McBride. He is not the big, physical, powerful guy that Pat Fryermuth is, but he is more agile. He's quick. Um, and you mentioned the soft hands, terrific hands. I mean, there's a reason why a kid that played at Colorado State won the John Mackey Award as the nation's best tight end because the kid can flat ball. Yeah. Um, and so, again, considering how often that Seattle has struggled against tight ends, considering the fact that Julian Love is going to have to be trying to play downhill to slow down that running game, I do worry that uh, the Arizona tight end might be able to shake himself free, not only for another big game in terms of down the field, but also in the end zone as well. You and I were talking before the show, and if the Cardinals were full strength on the offensive line, we might be talking about Boye Mafe here going up against DJ Humphreys. But unfortunately for the Cardinals, Humphreys suffered a torn ACL in their big win over the Eagles. So he obviously will not be participating in this game. And so you'd think, well, there's going to be backup tackle in. That should be an emphasized matchup. But I think when you look at what really makes this Cardinals team tick, it's all about the interior. And when the Seahawks have had success getting after Kyler Murray, it has not been their outside rushers. It has been their ability to collapse the pocket. And he's a short quarterback. That is a recipe for success. If you can get interior pressure and he can't see over the offensive line well to begin with, if you get everything backed up into his grill, he has a really hard time seeing receivers. So I think the defensive tackles, your Leonard Williams, Jaron Reed, Draymond Jones, Miles Adams, if they get Mario Edwards back this week, those guys are going to be going up against an interior for the Cardinals that this was a weakness for them back in week seven. It feels like now their interior offensive line has grown into a potential strength for them, led by Will Hernandez, who was having a really solid year. You want to talk about a guy that likes to get after it in the run game. He has the nastiness and he gets after it. James Conner likes running behind him. This is a team that has turned that interior O-line into one of their better position groups, surprisingly. And so this D-line, the interior for the Seahawks, they are going to have to get after it. They're going to have to be physical at the point of attack in the run game. And you've got to be able to collapse that pocket down on Kyler Murray because that has been a proven way to fluster him and make it difficult for him to get passes off in the past. Yeah, I think you could make a, you know, we could basically could break down the entire Arizona Cardinals offensive line, Corbin, because I, I think that basically what they have done, the head coach on the game, I think, is just kind of taking the that that kiss 
principle, that keep it simple, stupid kind of a, of a principle here. And just like, okay, we're maybe not the most talented team um, in terms of the offensive line, especially among the interior of the offensive line. But if we're physical at the point of attack and if we run the ball downhill, we can be effective. And the, the middle three really have taken off. You mentioned the right guard, Will Hernandez. He's a player I was really, really high on at a UTEP a couple of years ago. Got drafted by the Giants and I think has really played even better here in Arizona than he ever did in the Meadowlands. Uh, Yelda Froholt, the center, um, I mean, this is the center that I kind of envisioned that the Seahawks, if they want to play downhill football, need a guy who's six foot five, 315 pounds, and he's just powerful at the point of attack. Um, you know, at the left guard position, they had a kid, Elijah Wilkinson, who had struggled. The Seahawks were able to beat him a couple of different times, um, you know, way back in, in the game at Lumen Field. But again, in the running game, he has actually emerged as one of the Cardinals' most formidable offensive linemen. And, and so, Another six foot four, 315 pound. He came out of UMass. I mean, so these are not highly drafted players in the most part. Will Hernandez being, I think, was a second or third round pick, but still is a transplant from, uh, you know, or a free agent from the New York Giants. The two offensive tackles at this point, you have the the rookie um, in Paris Johnson, and of course, the first round pick out of Ohio State. He is better in pass protection at this point, but he has made strides in the running game. And then the left tackle position, as you mentioned, another former first round pick, DJ Humphreys went down with the injury. That you would think would mean a negative for the Arizona Cardinals and a good thing for the Seahawks. And in some ways it is because the player is going to replace him. Kelvin Beecham is six foot three, 305 pounds. He hasn't had the length or the foot quickness to be able to handle a steady diet of pass rushers, like from a Boye Mafe or a Daryl Taylor or whoever the Seahawks are going to be throwing out there at that outside edge rusher position. But at 6'3", 305 pounds, he does have the leverage advantage. So if the Cardinals want to do what they have been doing so well against what the Seahawks have been doing so poorly, run and defend the run, then I actually think this might be an advantage for the Arizona Cardinals. And that's why I think, that again, that this is the entire offensive line for the Arizona Cardinals is something the Seahawks are going to have to try to take apart. I don't think it's going to be the easy uh, mop-up kind of game, layup kind of a game that a lot of people were anticipating when they first saw this game on the schedule. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We'll have what could be our final crossover Thursday of the year with Alex Clancy of Locked on Cardinals coming your way tomorrow. Always a blast when Alex and I get together to talk about the two NFC West rivals. You won't want to miss that episode. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.